Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a terrific chat room with some very special folks that join us every week, so don't miss out. Join the chat room today. All right, Ravinder, it's time for you to say hello to all the folks out there and give them one of those special invitations to your chat room. Hello to all the folks out there. I'm so glad that you can join us. It'll be even more fun if you can come join me in the chat room as well. That's at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have great conversation. Um, you know, we just advance our own spiritual growth at a whole different pace there. So come join me. It's at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. In our Spotlight of the Week segment, this week we turn our attention to the notion of living consciously. In today's world, the idea of living conscious is not as simple as some might think. Not only do we have more complex problems, but many of the so-called solutions of the past are indeed today's nightmares. The transportation problem, for example, was solved with combustion engines. Then we learned that fossil fuels lead to planetary warming. We live at a time when our food sources are becoming the product of genetic engineering, at a time when aborted human fetal cells are employed by food suppliers to test flavors, when vaccine testing results have knowingly been falsified, when every imaginable fraud and deception under the sun seems to be taking place somewhere in the world, and often by government itself, and so forth. So the question... How do we live in a conscious manner in what can seem like a unconscious world at times? This past week, a proposed new federal law was introduced by Representative G.K. Butterfield, a Democrat, and Representative Mike Pompeo, a Republican, that would outlaw state-enacted GMO labeling laws. Should those of us who wish to know what foods are genetically modified begin writing our congressional representatives? I mean, do we need to all become activists of sorts to live consciously in our modern world? Now, Ravinder brought to my attention a story out of Idaho, distressing story, where some farm workers were filmed abusing livestock, punching cattle in the face, dragging them behind tractor, and so forth. When the farmer learned of the abuse by his workers, he fired them. However, right away, a state congressman introduced a bill that made the unauthorized filming of acts of this nature a greater crime than the cruelty to animals, which in Idaho now takes three offenses before a prosecution is warranted. So what are we to do? If you film the act without permission, you commit a felony in Idaho. And who's going to give you permission to film them while they commit a crime? It's almost like you're cut off at the proverbial pass. Nowhere to go but back home. This past week, we also had the story of a Nevada rancher 
Cliven Bundy, whose family for 140 years have grazed on land claimed by the BLM. In what was described as a military operation, the BLM swept in with automatic weapons, helicopters, and so forth to confiscate the ranchers' cattle. The governor of Nevada protested this outrageous action, but to no avail. Neighbors and concerned citizens poured out in support of Bundy, and many were armed. For a moment, it appeared that the armed hostilities were but a precipice away when the government changed its mind and backed away. Now, the merits to this case are not why I mention it in our context, but rather the Second Amendment is. It is for certain that if it were illegal to own a gun, there's no doubt about what would have happened in Nevada. The BLM would have done as they pleased, and so would or could any other government agency. So do we really want to argue against Second Amendment rights? Think of the many issues facing the world. We have the NSA and other intelligence agencies actively violating our civil rights in the name of safety, while Big Pharma hides and falsifies data from drug trials, and former Monsanto execs gain seats in the very agencies charged with policing companies such as Monsanto. And there is more, so much more that it is mind-boggling to say the least. Indeed, 120,000 words of specificity in my newest yet unpublished book, and that was only the tip of the proverbial iceberg. So are we all to acquiesce or become political activists or something other altogether? In your For What It's Worth department, in my opinion, to just let this sort of thing occur is to lend tacit consent to it. That means we must all become active in seeing that our system of representation, government of the people, by the people, and for the people, is honored. I encourage every one of you to plan to write or call your congressional representative regularly, every week if you can, write them about something, get in their faces and let your voice be heard. Remember, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Send me your observations of abuse and grievance, and we may provide a larger audience by putting them in a book or putting them on the air or putting them on a blog. It is incumbent upon us in a free nation to take the responsibility that is ours as free people to be sure that our freedoms are protected. All right, your thoughts on this, Ravinder? Oh, you brought up lots of really major, really important issues there. You know, you've got the specific issues and then you've got the the general about, you know, should we get involved? I mean, a, a huge problem in America today is that we trust somebody else to fix the problem. And that just happens more and more and more and more people just put their head in the sand. And even in our own field of uh, spirituality, new age beliefs and stuff like that, lots of people say that um, it only exists if you give it attention. You know, well, tell that to the poor cow that's being uh, beaten up and kicked in the face. You know, there are, there are just so many issues out there. I do think that... Um, 
to be truly spiritual, you have to be a bit of an activist as well. There's a correct way to do it, I suppose. So you don't want to be filled with rage and, you know, have revenge and just be as crazy as the other people out there. You need to do your best and then let things go and, but carry on doing your best. I, th- I think it's a huge question that, that you brought up. I think it's absolutely vital and we, we should all adopt our favorite causes. And yeah. persist at them and pay attention to the other causes out there because someone else is not taking care of you. I have repeatedly, as you know, asked different guests what their attitude was toward um, the spiritual uh, requirement, if you will, uh, regarding things that are political in nature, you know? Um, and we can get very divided along lines that are political or religious sometimes because. You know, we're hung up on a value system that we we tend to ignore the roots of. We get ideas, we get beliefs, and um, and then we become very defensive about anyone that might hold a different mm-hmm. point of view, as opposed to hear out what that point of view is and to, and to really do, you know discover the facts. But I do think that you're absolutely right. It is. Uh, there's a spiritual obligation. There's no such thing as spiritual growth. If I close my eyes and I go to sleep and I pretend that, pretend that all these things just don't take place, you know, was we had that one letter from a woman once upon a time that said all these things in the world don't matter as long as I have uh, a full belly and clean sheets on my bed. Yeah, there you Something go. Like you know, and it, in in meantime, there are, you know, all forms of life that are suffering in the world, and you know, we just selfishly turn to our side. I don't think that there's anything spiritual about there that, regardless there, yeah. of uh, you know the track that you're on or the the system that you believe in. Okay, now Ravinder, uh, while we're on this subject, before I get away from it, you know this this whole issue of gun control is. Uh, Something that uh, you and I have mixed feelings about. Uh, we see the escalating violence, and of course, as far as I'm concerned, the undertone behind that escalating violence has to do with the amount of violence the media is saturated with, the kinds of games, uh, killing uh, machines, if you will. You know, you put a pilot in a simulator to teach him how to fly. If you go to any of these arcades or look at many of these uh, first-person shooters nowadays, giant screen TVs and whatnot, they are simulators teaching you how to so to me, you know, that has all been about uh, let's do something to change the mindset, you know, more than think about taking weapons away. Now, that said, I, I don't see any reason for banana clips and some of these other things that, um, you know, make weapons automatic weapons. But to come back to, to where I want to go with this, we recently had uh, another school violence incident, this time with kitchen knives. Uh, It would appear to me that maybe, you know, we need again to turn our attention away from the item, the weapon, whether it's a, you know, a a screwdriver or a kitchen knife, a, a chainsaw or a gun, and turn our attention back to the desensitization that's going on with uh, a lot of people today with this continued 
increase in the amount of violence that we're surrounded by. You have thoughts on that? Oh, you know, I totally agree with you. You know, it's not guns and knives that kill people, it is people. And whenever there's an incident like this, everyone wants to put the blame somewhere. But you know what? It's the big money that wants to shove the blame in another direction. The media, the entertainment, that is huge money. And they just want to say, no, watching violent movies doesn't make you more violent. But the fact is, you don't have a violent person and a peaceful person. You have a whole spectrum of people. It goes the whole way. So when everyone is being saturated with violence and sex and drugs, you know, it's moving everyone's standard. Everyone, you know, so it's not just the mentally ill person that commits the crime. The more exposure there is to this excess of violence, the more people fall into the mentally ill category. And it's just continuing. It's carrying on and on. So, no, we need to to make some changes in the important areas. So maybe one of the things that our listeners can do is, you know, begin by start writing your congressmen, uh, your senators, and talking to them about, listen, uh, let's reduce the amount of violence that's out there. Let's reduce the amount of violence in television and in games, and, and let's do something serious about that. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our show featured Michael Cremo and his work for Bidden Archaeology. Mark wrote, I enjoyed listening to the show today with guest Michael Cremo. I would like to see Michael have a debate with Bill Nye, TV's science guy. Bill, who takes the conventional evolutionary point of view, recently debated Ken Ham from the Creation Museum, who debunks Darwinism and claims that humans and the Earth are only 6,000 years old. Well, thanks for the letter, Mark. Uh, now, in fairness, Cremo, by contrast, argues that mankind is much older than the 200,000 years held by folks like Bill Nye. Perry wrote, I have heard Cremo interviewed before, but you were able to get him to admit the religious lens that he interprets his, his that he interprets his findings through. If you want the data to fit a given era, then you are likely to help it do so, just as Cremo himself insists that most archaeologists do. Great interview, by the way. Well, thanks, Perry. You know, there is something called confirmation bias, and Cremo could easily be charged with that. CB wrote, very entertaining show. I thought it was fun. Lots to look up and think about. Mary Lou wrote, I never know what to expect from your show, but I am also never disappointed. Carol wrote, thank you. I've been on SSD for the last 25 years. Your program on Coast to Coast gave me some hope. PTSD and my many health issues I need to resolve. I feel very physically weak and scared right now and so appreciate this being made available at no charge. Well, you're more than welcome, Carol. And for all of you out there, remember that we have a number of free programs designed to assist you in different areas of your life. The PTSD program is but one that you will find at intertalk.com. Betty Lou wrote, thank you for making these downloads possible. It was very enjoyable. And enlightening to hear you on Coast to Coast. Learning how our unconscious program determines our reality was quite revealing and makes understanding others as well as ourselves a little easier. Cliff wrote, I heard Eldon on Coast to Coast and resonated with many of the concepts he was presenting. I tried the 12-minute meditation. We'll continue to use it. I just ordered his self-hypnosis book, and I am interested in exploring his inner talk programs. I have one I will provide for my daughter who is trying to move her life forward. 
Well, good for you, Cliff, and thanks for the feedback. I shared this 12-minute meditation with all of you right here on this show. If you missed it, catch it in our archives. Margaret wrote, I could not find a new talk CD with the subject develop psychic abilities in your repertoire. I used that tape 30 years ago with astounding positive results. Notify me when you make it again. Well, Margaret, we never stop making it. So here's your notification. You will find it listed as Developing the Sixth Sense. Indeed, we now have a special two-CD set designed especially for accelerating the development of all sorts of psychic abilities. Donna wrote, I so wish I had learned about you 30 years ago. I am now 51, and for most of my adult life I have been unhappy, and I never was really able to put a finger on why. I just knew that nothing seemed to be the way it was supposed to be. I experienced huge mood swings, and sometimes I was a real bitch to the people I care most about. Since using your InterTalk programs, all of that has changed. I sleep better. My attitude is healthier, so I do more healthy things. My relationships are so improved that I sometimes could just cry with gratitude. Thank you for your work and all that you give to the world. What a lovely letter. Thank you, Donna. Now, you know, that's a perfect segue, Ravinder, into the special promotion you wanted to tell everybody about in the next four minutes. In the next four minutes. That's about what you have. I could take the next hour. This is just a great deal. You know, quite a few years ago now, you originally brought out the Happiness is Success library of programs in that time we've upgraded it but the idea behind the happiness is success you know lots of people think if only I had this I'd be happy if only I had that if only he would do this or she would do that you know it's always something external Um, the entire philosophy behind your master secret is that when you are happy success naturally follows and I for one have seen that in my own life you know when I'm doing the things that bring me joy everything else falls into place so happiness should be what you are seeking not success because you know doesn't matter how much you've got if you're not happy you're not successful so this particular collection that we have we've just re-released it and that's why um we're all excited about it this is i think it's 20 programs on eight cds if you bought everything singly it's a it's a 560 dollar value we were selling it before for 349 dollars but with this re-release special launch that we have going on you can get the entire collection for 119 dollars so in this you get three inspiring seminars you know um the seven fundamentals is one of my favorite ones in there um you've got you know a variety of technologies you've got the power imaging you know the hypnosis the guided imagery i've told everyone about my happy place when i use the power imaging program i have that firmly in my mind that's one of the best um there's the ozo programs that will give you that immediate boost into action uh, the Ecotech, which is the more gentle, soothing, supportive. You know, there are days that you need to kick up the butt and times you just need an arm around your shoulder to help you stay on track. And then there are a number of the Inner Talk subliminal programs. And like the person who wrote to you earlier, you know, I use Inner Talk all the time. I actually think it's really good to have one playing, even if you're not working on something specific, because it just keeps you tuned in. It's amazing the amount of negativity that goes on out there but you know the types of uh, subjects that you cover in this 
this complete collection are to do with um, accepting change, forgiveness, self-confidence, optimism plus, freedom from stress, a boundless joy, inner peace, um, how to own your own control. That's a great seminar that is in there as well. So, you know, this is a special um a special special that we have on. It's only going to be available for a short time just so that we can celebrate the re-release of this incredible, I think it's one of your most important collections, The Master Secret, Happiness is Success. So remember, that's a $559 value that you can get right now for just $119. It's only for a limited time. To get that, you know, like with all of our specials, if you go to provocativeenlightenment.com and click on special offers, you'll find the link there that will take you directly out to more information. So just go to provocativeenlightenment.com, click on special offers. This is um, one of Eldon's most important packages. You know, it it is my favorite package too, but just this morning I read um, a new study that was released that talked about the many benefits of happiness, simple happiness. You know, last week I, I shared, uh, you know, a letter from an individual who simply started that practice of waking up in the morning, you know, and uh-huh. it, for the first time he did it, he, he rolled over and said he had sex with his wife, and it was the first time in over a year. You know, everything in our life changes when we when we are enjoying life. And and the interesting thing is, as you said, most people think that it's an objective that will make me happy. And, and the point of that is, this study that I read this morning, the more abstract that uh, objective is, the less likely you are to find any happiness. Um, making a concrete um you know, goal can assist in in building happiness, but then it becomes a pebble on a pathway. You know, yep, I got that one, now what's next? And yep, I got that one, and now what's next? When indeed, if we convolute the model and we think about ourselves as being natural and happy, I mean, you know, when you're a young child, and especially a very young child, you, you don't have goals. You're just exploring. You're just having fun. You're just... Life is great unless somebody comes along and, 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 and interdicts with your travels. Um, when we have that attitude, one of the great benefits is to strengthen the immune system. We see that uh, that's key to health and longevity. So it isn't just a matter of, well, I want to be happy. It's a matter that my long-term goal should include that as a priority in my life because it will improve everything from my health and well-being to, uh, you know, my longevity or my relationships. Uh, where is it they go again, Ravinder? It is. Uh, if you, I mean, the easiest place is just go to provocativeenlightenment.com and click on special offers, and we have it at the top of the page right there. And, you know, I totally agree. Life is a journey. I want to enjoy the whole thing. I want to be happy while I'm reaching all the other goals. I don't want to have to reach everything and then be happy. Amen, amen. All right, Carolee wrote, I love, love, love InterTalk. I have received so much benefit from listening to these programs. I listened to Ultra Success every single day for a few years while I was going to school. I was fortunate enough to land a job that pays extremely well. I think I am unconsciously drawn to success now. 
Well, good for you, Carolee. Now, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon, E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. Facebook is a great place to exchange ideas and thoughts. All right, this week's show features Dr. Karen Can. She will be joining us after the break. Dr. Can uh, specializes in holistic medicine, and you're going to really want to catch this show. You can learn more about Dr. Ken by visiting her website at karencan.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-K-A-N.com. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after a few words from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. The praise for Eldon Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, continues to mount. John Edwards said this about choices. Read this book. We are living at a time when people are searching for answers to fundamental questions in their lives. This book can be, if applied, a roadmap to personal enlightenment and empowerment. More important, it helps you see that you can manifest change. Joan Borisenko had this to say. Choices and Illusions is a smart, practical book by a grand master of the mind. If you want to get out of the box of your own thinking and touch a greater reality, Eldon Taylor can show you how. Lindsay Wagner had this to say, Enjoy the journey. I did. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. I pray you'll be alright and watch us where we go and help us to be one. In times when we don't know, let this be your prayer. When we lose our way, lead us to a place, guide us with your a place where we'll be safe. Welcome back. If you just joined us, Dr. Karen Kan joins us in this segment to share some of her knowledge about health, healing, and pain relief. Dr. Kan is a holistic physician specializing in energy medicine and is the number one best-selling author of Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, a holistic approach. Dr. Ken is a board-certified family physician. She earned her Bachelor of Science from McMaster's, I'll get that said, University in Canada, and her medical doctor's degree from the University of Ottawa. Her mission is to inspire and empower others to heal themselves using integrative mind-body-spirit approaches. Having used natural drug-free methods to heal herself, 
from fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Now she enjoys figure skating, West African drumming, and Wing Chun Kung Fu. In fact, she has won several national gold medals in adult figure skating, and instead of slowing down as she gets older, she is skating better, looking younger in every way. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Karen Can. Hi, Eldon. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. This is so cool. Yeah, well, you know, I've been looking forward to this. I love your book, you know that, and uh, and I wanted, you know, to share some of your wisdom with our audience. So, but before we get into that, we ask our guests for up to three songs that really have meaning in their lives, their life songs, if you will. This often provides some interesting insight into our guests, so we just played some of The Prayer with Celine Dion. Why is this song important to you, Dr. Cannon? How does it tell us about who you are? Well, first of all, this may sound kind of trite, but uh, a lot of the songs that I love, I can skate to. And uh, one of the reasons why I love the songs so much is that skating is my communication with the divine. That is my divine expression. So I feel the closest to God, if you will when I'm skating to beautiful music. And so this one that you just, and I, you know, I almost get teary-eyed every time I listen to it because the words are so beautiful. It's this communication and back and forth with the divine and that divine support. And, and that's how I love to feel, um, you know, on a daily basis, that connection with the divine. And it helps me remind myself who I really am, which is the spirit and physical form um, here with the mission. Um, but I think we all are like that, and so it's just a it's just a very inspirational song for me. You know, I would I would most certainly love it if that was indeed trite, and uh, you know we could find that on the lips of everybody walking down the street. But I'm afraid it's not. Uh, I love what you have to say there. We have three objectives here, Doctor Ken, that we like to flesh out. Who's the messenger? What is the message, and how do we use it? So let's begin with you. Please tell us a little bit about your background, and most particularly, what motivated you to do the kind of alternative medical research that you have done? Well, as, uh, as a child, I come from a Chinese family, uh, and as a first-generation to Canada, uh, most first-generation Chinese will tell you that the parents generally like to push their kids to do some sort of profession. Uh, mine were actually more... Well, I should say they were more open to other alternatives, until which time uh, I said to my mother that I wanted to be a hairdresser. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then she said, look, you're not getting A-pluses in school to be a hairdresser. So the answer is no, you're not being a hairdresser. (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, so long story short, I thought, well, I I guess I'm going to do what all the other Chinese kids do, and that's become a professional. And a lot of us do become doctors. And, uh, and I, being very competitive and being really good at school and loving science, I absolutely loved, you know, medical school and everything about it, except for the 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, calls, uh, which was hard on my body. Um, but, you know, throughout that experience, I always felt that the last thing I wanted to be was these cold-hearted doctors that I saw on the television or read about in books. I really didn't want to be like that. I you know, the, almost the first day I started medical school, uh, a couple of friends and I formed a group, um, and our purpose was to keep the humanity in medicine. And so some of the members of this group still, you know, communicate to this day. 
And so from the very moment I started medical school, I wanted to make sure that I stayed human and um, kept the compassion in my practice. Um, but it wasn't really until probably over 10 years ago when I got sick myself with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome that that compassion was tested. Um, I realized at that point that on some level I still felt judgment towards people that had fibromyalgia or these type of chronic illnesses because deep down I felt like they didn't try hard enough, that they didn't exercise hard enough, they didn't you know, eat well enough. And when I got it, uh, and my mother had it as well, so I was judging her as well. When I finally got it, I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I am trying as hard as I can, and I am still sick. What is this about? And so that was a real turning point for me to, uh, to really realize that I wasn't as compassionate as I thought I was, that there was more to go, and that people really did suffer like this. And I was so depressed, I was even suicidal, and I really could understand at that point the deep suffering that people, you know, go through with this. So fast forward, you know, 10 years and being well, don't fast stubborn. forward. Don't fast forward. Tell, you know, <laughs> tell us about I mean, uh, that's obviously a catharsic moment in your life. So tell us of what, I mean, you had these feelings. What, what did you do with them? I mean, how did you overcome them? Well, you know, I... I had grown up with this good girl syndrome, so I was always, you know, the good girl and, and always did well in school and, you know, did everything as perfect as I could, but deep down inside, I never really had real self-esteem, and that's why I kept, you know, winning competitions and uh, being the top of the class and achieving and achieving and achieving, and that achieving, that imbalance in my life actually caused me to be sick because I did things that probably weren't for my highest and greatest good. And one of those things was, you know, staying in a marriage that wasn't fulfilling. So I talk about it in the book that, you know, it was very painful for me to finally come to the realization that in order for me to feel happy, that I needed to make a change in my personal life, which meant leaving my, you know, 16-year relationship uh, with my husband. And I knew that was not going to be met very well at all uh, by my family because of the conservative Asian culture. I mean, you know, it just was seen... Divorce was seen as a failure, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to look, I didn't want my parents to look bad to their friends or their, their other family members or to feel like somehow they failed as parents, because so that was so painful for me to finally make that decision to, to have a divorce. Uh, but I came to the part where I literally was having a conversation with my spirit, and I remember crying uh, myself to sleep uh, yet another time, uh, you know, crying myself to sleep. And deciding that, wow, you know, I really could just die right now and it would be perfectly okay. And then I was sobbing and sobbing and then suddenly I kind of got quiet and then it was like there was a voice and it wasn't really anybody else's voice. I mean, it was probably my voice, but it was something to the effect of you have a choice, you know. And of course, I'm arguing with myself, you know, pat, you know partly sobbing and partly arguing my, with myself in my mind saying, no, I don't have a choice. I have to be a good girl. I have to do all this. And you know, the other voice just kept gently saying, no, you have a choice. You know, how do you want to live? If you want to continue all the rules that you say you have to follow, then you're going to stay sick. You're going to stay depressed. But you really don't have to. You, it, you do not have to do this. No one's going to die. That's my favorite new saying. No one's going to die, if you, you know, if you make a different choice. 
And so after that time, it really was a turnaround because I thought, wow, what if I did make a choice just for me? Even though my parents would hate it, my husband would hate it, maybe my friends would hate it. I don't know. Maybe my brother and sister would hate me. I don't even know that. So uh, that was the point where I thought, you know, I'm going to see how this goes. It goes against everything I grew up with, all the rules, all the, you know, uh, you know, how to be a good person, all the things I thought was necessary to be a good person. And so I made that choice to you know, say, hey, you know, this isn't working for me. And I know we've tried counseling. I know we've you know, tried struggling for the last 10 years, but this isn't working for me. And it was hard, but I got to say that that was the, the biggest decision I ever made up to that point. And it was the decision of freedom that I actually chose for the first time, I think, in my life, chose for me, which at the time my parents said it was very selfish. But I kind of, re, you know, reinterpret the word selfish to be self-love. Right. And so that right. was, yeah, that was that chrysalis moment where I actually decided to choose what was for my highest and greatest good and have been happily doing that since that point because uh, a lot of things, positive things came from that. And of course, now, I'm very glad we didn't fast forward because that is a... <laughs> That is a very important message to everyone out there. You know, uh, you you have to live for yourself. I mean, it is your life. You you need to be authentic. You can't live for somebody else, and and not pay a price for it. You paid a price. It was mm-hmm. your health. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I think tell us, you know, with the, tell us the about age, that. Well, the new age movement, uh, you know, comes with. Some uh, criticism, and and the criticism is it's all about me, 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 and so that was kind of hard to you know kind of see the criticism and also be really true to ourselves. But you're absolutely right that I I talk about in my book that when our soul is calling, and usually the call is fairly subtle at the beginning, um, and we don't listen to our soul's calling. You get what happens to me. So the soul calls a little harder, maybe gives you a physical symptom here and there or a life event like a car accident or something like that. Still, you know, I didn't listen. So then I say, you know, after a while, your soul says, you know what, guys, get the two-by-four. You ain't getting it. (laughs) So that's what happened to me. I got the spiritual two-by-four in the head, got totally sick. I mean, we basically went from healthy to unhealthy within 30 days, you know, very... uh, I mean, barely able to function, and uh, that was my two-by-four. And so I like to say to people, hey, you can wait till the spiritual two-by-four comes, and that's your choice. You absolutely have a choice. But from personal experience, I would prefer if you chose, you know, something different earlier. Right. Now, now Dr. Ken, I, uh, I'm one that takes issue uh, with the me, me, me uh, that we often find in, in what you know, this term new age. I'm not really happy with that term either, but that's okay. Uh, but there is a balance between the the selfish and the self-love. Have, have you not found that? Is that not part of your story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of cultural overlay, of course, with the, the Canadian-Chinese culture, first generation, you know, struggling Im- immigrants. Uh, that kind of thing, and so there's a lot of striving, and it's really about supporting the family and, you know, putting the family name out there, and and that's all great and good, and there's lots of positive things of doing that, to do selfless things to help support the community and to give, 
But when one is giving from an empty cup, which is what I was doing, because I thought giving was better than receiving, because I was taught that in somewhere in religion school, that giving was better <laughs> than receiving, then there's no balance. And it wasn't until I think I went to a T. Harbecker event where he said, you know, if everyone gives and there's no receiver, you, you don't get to give. So you need to have balance. You need to be able you to run out of content to give. That's right. Right. You have to be able to receive in order to give. And we actually did this exercise where we had to simply just give compliments to other people in the room we didn't know and be able to just stand there and receive the, the compliment without, you know, pushing it away or distracting or giving a compliment back. And surprisingly, it was actually quite difficult for many people, myself included, to just receive. So very telling. It is. It is very telling. But once you open yourself up to receive, once you recognize your self-worth uh, and, and the fact that, you know, you, you it's in your instance, uh, you do great honor for your family right now doing what you do do. Uh, and you help, you know, millions of people with your books and your work and, and your campaigns and, and your presence. So... Um, I would think that overall you would be in a position that would would enhance your family first generation more than it would have been had you stayed in that empty place where maybe you were still a little judgmental, not about fibromyalgia anymore, but some of the other things that the clinical definitions say are caused by uh, mentality. Is that a fair assessment or not? Yes, I, I definitely agree with you there. And of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. I there was no guarantee if I took this route whether anything positive was going to come with it. And I think that all of us that are struggling, you know, with our lives, there's always that element of risk, and it's that risk that spirit needs us to take for our evolution. And looking back, I can say, hey, this is awesome. And uh, my parents are certainly, you know, have forgiven me. And so has my ex-husband. In fact, he uh, is remarried with two wonderful, beautiful little kids that he wouldn't have had if we had stayed together. Um, and my parents are very, you know, proud. Mama and Papa, you know, they have a best-selling author as a daughter. And, you know, they even had a, a local author signing party for me. And all their friends came. It was it was so wonderful. So I get to reap the benefits of my decision now. <laughs> and uh, it's been great and fun. But the point of all that is you, you did it with integrity. You were honest with yourself when you finally got to that moment. And, uh, and it all turned out for the best. Let's turn to your book. You, uh, you know, I love your book. You have gone through an awful lot. Well, that's a poor choice of word. You've gone through very many, uh, different technologies and techniques for healing and, uh, what I have to ask you first, the ones that are in the book are all the ones that you found that worked, but you must have found those that did not work. Is that correct? And if so, what did you find that didn't work? <laughs> you know, yeah, this is provocative enlightenment. We like right. that stuff, too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Uh, you know, there was a uh, certainly uh, in conventional medicine, there wasn't a lot to... Um, you know, the so-called prescription for people with my diagnosis is very simple. It's usually counseling sometimes, you know, with a psychiatrist or psychologist or a social worker just to support them in, in basically being disabled and, and living with that uh, disability. 
Um, and also maybe a prescription for some muscle relaxers. Uh, general antidepressants are used because uh, eventually the person has clinical depression because they're so sick and, and they try to explain right. to their doctors that they wouldn't be depressed if they weren't sick. <laughs> but uh, they, get that, they get the prescription anyway, maybe some, you know, some painkillers from time to time, although they, it's kind of frowned upon to, to give chronic pain medication that way for these types of diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe you know a prescription for physical therapy, uh, if they're lucky, you know to to just see if they can manage their their pain better. And uh, but that that's about it, you know, as far as conventional medicine. And I knew that most of my patients that were put on that regimen did not get better, or not very much better. And so I just refused to live life that way. And I kind of you know decided I'm going to seek something else because if this doesn't work for most people, then I got to find something else, not just for me, but for other people that does, you know, that does work for me. Um, the other thing, Eldon, that when I started looking at some of the natural remedies, some of the books at the time that I read, I thought, well, this sounds great. I can just, you know, I, I think I have low thyroid, so I'll just go on some natural thyroid medicine and get better. And, you know, I, I did the right dose and I, you know, got the right prescription and I thought, you know, I'm not better. (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) You know, and I would try some other things that way or nutritional supplements. Um, You know, there was a a wonderful book that I read and I thought, well, this is great. He actually did a, you know, an actual scientific study on all these supplements. So I went and did the regimen and I could tolerate the regimen, but it was okay. I mean, I didn't get a lot better. Um, And I thought, gee, this this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be given all the money I was spending on these supplements. And even though it's a good program and many people do get better, it didn't really work for me and it didn't work for a lot of my patients. So I just kept searching until I found things that worked for me. And I'm also, I got to admit to people, I'm actually kind of cheap. It's this Asian thing. (laughs) So I want efficiency. I want something that works for the least amount of money uh, and hopefully the least amount of effort, although I am a very hard worker. But I I kind of, you know, if if people, if I, you know, tell them they've got to, cook every single meal and make all raw food and, you know, they can't have any telephones or cell phones in their bedroom and they have to take off all the electricity in their bedroom so that they can sleep without EMS that night. I mean, a lot of people are just not going to do it. And right. I knew I wasn't going to do it, so I'm not going to tell somebody to do it if I'm not going to do it. So I was trying to find ways that, you know, would work but also be practical for me. So bottom line now, and, and, and that's kind of what I want there are recommendations out there in the holistic community that are baffle gap, true or false. What's a baffle gap? <laughs> you know, just nonsense. You know, it, it, it just the recommendations that just simply will not work. They'll take your money, but that's that's all they'll do. Oh, okay. Well, I'm. You know, I think I'm sure there's there's stuff in you know alternative and conventional that doesn't work. Um, that are scams out there. I really haven't done anything that I would consider a scam. Like even the things that didn't work for me, I just realized that for my physiology or what I needed to learn spiritually in this lifetime, that particular avenue wasn't for me. So okay. I don't really have a lot of experience in the you know the the kind of scam stuff. So you didn't run into anything of that nature. Everything that you tested, it was either a question of. It didn't work for you, and or it did work for you. What What about everything in your book? Is everything in your book something that worked for you? 
pretty much everything in the book works for me. Uh, there are certain things that I don't need to do anymore or take anymore, like certain supplements that I used to take that I don't need to take. Um, a lot of the you know basic supplements that are in there, like the fish oil and the magnesium and uh, probiotics, I still recommend, vitamin D, and I still recommend to almost everybody. And I can literally test every person individually as to whether their body wants it. Um, and so that I still do myself. I still do earthing and grounding. So there's a lot of strategies in there, especially the mind-body ones, which I find are what I call kind of the speed train. That's, that's the speediest way to heal is if you can, if the person is willing to go down that path and take a look at their mind, you know, that's what you're an expert in, you know, the mind programming, the, the emotional body, the spiritual body, not just the physical then they're really on the fast track to healing. Okay, now, as I go through the book, and I want to make you know a couple points clear here before we go to break, and we've only got a couple of minutes before we have, have the station break, uh, your book is about more than just fibromyalgia. Uh, the treatments, the, the technologies, the techniques, your recommendations, they're for overall health, right or wrong. Yes, that is true. And in fact, I had some people complain, I mean, not really complain, but kind of say, hey, I read your book, even though I don't have pain, and I really think that you picked the wrong title, because it should be something about, you know, how how to heal holistically, no matter what illness you have, <laughs> instead of healing chronic pain. But I had decided marketing-wise that it would be better to use that title. So I did have some people complain to say, hey, you know, this is great for everyone. Why didn't you advertise it like that? Yeah, and, and see, to me, I read the book, and, and it's a wellness book. It's a marvelous wellness book. Thank and, you. And it, there are also some really interesting points that are made in the book that I think are very valuable to a lot of people. Uh, and you, for example, the EMF fields that you touched on, and you cover that in your book as well. Um, the pain side of it, though, is indeed a very important side. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you, Dr. Uh, can to uh, to spell out more some of the things that you have learned about pain management and specifically some of the diseases and uh, and and the so-called curable or incurable notion that uh, proliferates in medicine I mean one of the things that I think inhibits a healing process as a case in point is a diagnosis that you know this is a condition that is not it, it may go into remission but it's never something that is healed. And I'm gonna, I am gonna—I want to know what your opinion is about those kinds of thought implants that we sometimes see, particularly in the uh, allopathic tradition. Sounds if you'd good. like... Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That sounds good. All right. If you'd like to know more about Dr. Can and her work, visit her website... Karen Can, K-A-R-E-N-K-A-N dot com. Or check out the links on Provocative Enlightenment. The book we're talking about is Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. And, and again, it is a marvelous book. All right, we have a film featuring our guest for you today, and you don't want to miss this. You heard her say she could test you. Well, maybe you can test yourself. Catch the film. So if you're not already in our chat room, that's where we play it. Now's the time to get there. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat and choose that chat room button near the top of the page. We'll be right back after a brief station break. 
If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives at our site, ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, hard scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Karen Can about her research, findings, and book. But before we get back to the show, I want to invite you to join me on Facebook. I post regularly everything from where I am and what's on next to the latest in science, technology, and consciousness studies. And from time to time, some of my own opinions about the world we live in. And I love your comments and feedback, and Facebook is a great place for that. So please give me a like. And join me at Facebook.com, Dr. Eldon Taylor. That's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. All right. Now, we just played some of your second musical choice, Dr. Can, You and I by Celine Dion. What's the story about this one? Well, there's actually kind of a cool story. I, I liked the song when it first came out. And a lot of times I don't even consciously listen to the words until later uh, like when I'm asked by a radio show host, why do you like that song? You know, then I'm thinking, why do I like that song? Um, you but, get asked you know, that question <laughs> a lot, huh? Uh, but I think for me, again, it was another song about the relationship between myself and the divine, but it could be another human being who is also, uh, you know, spirit in body, is the divine self in a physical human body. So it's um, this interplay between you know two people uh to grow and evolve and learn and and uh, my favorite story about the song is that um uh after my divorce i decided to go to new york city by myself which was a huge step for me because i've always been you know as a child very shy and very scared to do things on my own especially travel so here i am in the big city and it's my 40th birthday 
And the most miraculous things happen. Like I went to skate on Central Park, and literally the people that were, you know, in charge there, um, you know, said, oh, you're a figure skater? Here, you skate in the middle, and we'll make sure no one bumps into you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so here I am skating in the middle of Central Park, and also the uh, the beautiful square in the middle of the city. I forget the name of it right now, but, you know, I could see all the buildings, and it was such a miraculous birthday. I thought, wow, you know, I could choose to feel sorry for myself because I'm divorced, no one's celebrating my birthday with me, none of my family live here, but instead I'm really choosing to be alone, quote-unquote, you know, having my birthday with God and enjoying nature and skating, and on my way back from the uh, New York City, I stopped off at this, uh, you know, just one of those touristy places on the side of the highway where you can, you know, go, you know, to the bathroom and they have posters up and um, they were advertising for the 25th anniversary for the Lake Placid, um, uh, the the Olympics, the 1980 Olympics, which was going to, you know, be later on that year, this whole celebration. So they have this beautiful poster in this place, uh, one of these rest stops, and I'm looking at, you know, the skiers and you know, all the different, um, the hockey players, and I see this figure skater in this poster and I thought, wow, she looks really familiar. And I'm looking, and I'm looking. Here I am in the middle, you know, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm driving home. I'm looking at this poster, and then I realize that the reason I know that figure skater is because that was me. <laughs> and it was it was a photo that I had done a photo shoot in L.A. just for fun uh, uh, for this company called All Sport. And they had uh, Olympic Regional Development Authority had just picked and bought that photo out of thousands of skating photos for their celebration. Like, who knew? that they, uh, you can't see my face, so you don't even know who it is, but I knew who it was, uh, and it wasn't even the best picture they had. It was kind of funny. And I found out later on that they actually had a 100-foot billboard on the side of the road as well with the exact same poster. So what an amazing 40th birthday present from Spirit. Cool. No kidding. How neat. Listen, mm-hmm. one of the things that we didn't touch on and I should have picked up in our, you know, right in the beginning was... You had a traditional allopathic practice and training. When did you integrate oriental medicine, particularly acupuncture? Well, acupuncture, uh, I was always interested in even through medical school, and so I did some training in Canada. Uh, And then when I came to the United States, uh, I was not allowed to use it because I didn't have United States training. And then when I was working as an assistant professor at UCLA, helping with, uh, you know, the residency program and medical students. At that point, there was a cross-cultural grant and also a course for physicians for acupuncture. So I kind of jumped on that opportunity and got that grant so I could teach it after I learned it. And I was able to, uh, to do just that, you know, in the residency program. And at that point, I became kind of U.S. certified to do acupuncture and then incorporated in my practice from that point on. So that was, I think, 2000 when that happened. Now, I mean, your background, your mother and your father would have, they would have had alternative, what we consider to be alternative medicine practices just by way of their culture and upbringing, would they not? Uh, I think, well, my dad really wasn't into it that much. My mom did get acupuncture from an auntie of mine, and it was, I still remember the day when she was doing because my mom had fibromyalgia and a lot of pain, so this auntie was doing, you know, needling on her, and, of course, she's asking me, so what do I want to be when I grow up? And I said, well, I want to be a real doctor. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was so snarky back then. Uh, and so, yeah. So you I remind became a, me, actually, that reminds me of a story of my beautiful wife, who, you know, is trained in a path lab, microbiologist, etc. When we first moved to Spokane, my oldest boy, just barely two, was sick. In fact, he wasn't quite two. He was sick. So I talked to a nurse uh, who I knew, and she recommended a physician who was from China but had graduated from Tulane uh, with her MD. So she was trained, uh, obviously, in Western allopathic medicine, but she also incorporated oriental medicine. And, and she treated my son with Qigong. Uh, and when I took him home, I mean, he, he was immediately in her office, comfortable and, and happy. And when I took him home, he was comfortable and happy. And my wife was not satisfied with that. We had to take him to a pediatrician, <laughs> Western trained the next day. Is that not true, dearest Ravinder? I know, but to put a perspective on it, this is my first child. Okay. He had been incredibly sick. He'd been throwing up nonstop, and then this woman is just putting these patches on his fingers. And yeah, I suppose I needed something a little bit more concrete. I have learned since then now. All right. So we we don't want to distract from your story, but because the fact of the matter is, there is great value in Oriental practice, and when you can marry those two, like you have. You know, it's just too bad we don't have schools that marry them and do so on a regular basis. But let's get back to your book. Why did you decide to write it? I mean, there are lots of books out there on pain and pain management and wellness and energy medicine. What makes yours unique, Dr. Ken? Well, uh, I, I've you know certainly read a lot of these books, and I really congratulate all the authors for really putting their gift out there and making a difference in people's lives. One of the reasons I wanted to write my book was because, from my personal experience, I really needed to integrate the physical, the mental, emotional, and the spiritual together uh, in order to get better. And actually, the spiritual piece was really the turbo engine that made everything faster, the whole healing process. And I really couldn't find anything out there that really addressed everything, like truly, holistically. Like even some of my wonderful holistic doctor friends and and colleagues, um, they may do a lot of, you know, different integrative labs and heavy metal testing and IV glutathione drips and, you know, maybe send people for counseling or coaching, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But there was really few MDs that were actually openly doing the spiritual piece. And then on the opposite, there were a lot of spiritual teachers talking about healing and spirit and angels and meditation and mindfulness and, you know, that kind of thing. But they didn't have a foot in the other door talking about some of the physical elements, the nutritional element, or, you know, the electromagnetic frequency pollution. Uh, so I'm kind of, I always thought that that I was something wrong, was wrong with me in the past because I liked too many things and I was kind of a jack of all trades and a, uh, an expert of none, as my ex-husband would put it. And now I realize that my gift is really to integrate all that I know and kind of digest it out so that people can kind of see, wow, okay, it's like one-stop shop here. You know, there's a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and I encourage people to read my book to really feel inside what resonates with them. Like some people are totally not into changing their diet right now. <laughs> you know, that's not what they're into. They're not interested, and I say that's okay. So if you don't want to do that, then choose something else that really resonates with you, and it might be doing a gratitude journal. 
you know, or doing prayer or um, maybe looking at uh, changing the, uh, the toxins on their skin, whatever it is. I, I want people to have options and just know there's a lot out there that are not publicized, that the average doctor or even the average holistic doctor might even, you know, not know about. Right. You, you know, I, you bring up an ethical question, and, and I've asked this of a couple of MDs. I don't know why I haven't asked you, but I'm going to straight out now since what you just said uh, is such a perfect segue into it. Do you think that a physician should, uh, for all intent and purposes, take responsibility for speaking to his patients, his her patients, about spirituality? Well, actually, even in the American Academy of Family Physicians journal, um, there is mention and even articles about talking to your patients about spirituality. Um, and it's more like ask the question. And a lot of times people say, yes, I believe in God. I mean, literally, it's even in one of our forms, you know, do I believe in God or don't I believe in God? So it's there, but it's just not very deep. And we're not really trained in Western medicine to really coach or counsel people in that realm. So if they believe in God and, you know, you want to encourage that peace to help them heal, then they might be referred to a counselor or, you know, to a priest or a rabbi or a pastor, you know, to support them. But it's unusual for the doctor to feel that comfortable, you know, doing that uh, him or herself. And I, and I don't really expect them to unless they've, you know, kind of gone through what I've gone through and really enjoy it. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> In your opinion, why is it we see more and more chronic pain, more and more people suffering from chronic pain? Well, there's a, a couple of main reasons. I think that um, a lot. Of, we talked a little bit about you know Eastern medicine, Asian medicine, and now kind of merging with Western medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, the Asian medicine philosophy is the body doesn't really get ill unless there are major energetic imbalances and these energetic imbalances will imbalance the organs which then don't function as well and it's a really actually a long time between that point where the energetic imbalance starts the organ energy imbalances and then the organ fails and then you get the symptoms so there's kind of a big time period and in today's world that we have a lot of stressors that we didn't have 30 or 40 years ago um, when I did a rotary talk uh, recently, and I asked people to name some of the common stressors that everybody goes through, or, or most people in America go through, most people ro- ro- you know rose their hand and said, "Well, my boss is a stress. Okay, my wife is a stress. My kids are a stress. My job is a stress. You know, uh, but not a well, single I'm lucky. person. None of them are my stress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, n- nobody else will volunteer anything other than relationship or, you know, work stress. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? So I kind of challenged the group and I said, well, what about, you know, what about your cell phones? And they're looking at me like, what about, what about them? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, cell phone radiation is microwave radiation. That actually does stress your body. And then we did, an, a, did a little, you know, uh, demo in front of the group showing that, you know, people's energy fields weaken in the presence of cell phone radiation, even when the person's not on the phone, which kind of freaked them all out. So then I talked about, you know, the toxins in our environment. So at that point, some people kind of volunteered, okay, there's, there's you know, maybe toxins in the air, but few people realize there's toxins actually in our soaps and our detergents and our facial care, our shaving cream, our shampoos, our cleaning agents, 
um, you know, just in the air we breathe. Even if we're in the middle of beautiful, pristine, you know, Lake Placid, New York, we have chemtrails. You know, we have, you know, these planes flying above us that oh, yeah. uh, create these trails to help change the weather. Well, I should say help, but anyway, that, that manage the weather, so to speak. Um, and the, so the we're trails not... the government denies they're actually doing. Yeah, go on. I'm right. <laughs> so uh, you can't really get away from it. And then the whole electromagnetic uh, pollution is an unseen, invisible toxin. Um, and the one thing that that I tell all my patients when they first come to see me, I, I ask them, first of all, do they own a cell phone? And I said, I beg of you, do not use your cell phone as an alarm clock. And people kind of, their eyes get big because I can tell they are using it as an alarm clock. And I said, you don't want to be radiating your body and your brain all night long when your body is the most susceptible. That's when you're supposed to be healing in that wonderful deep delta wave sleep. And you don't want to be microwaving yourself while you're sleeping. So put it on airplane mode or even better, uh, put, uh, you know, a good um, EMF protection device, one that's been, you know, clinically tested, put that on your phone so at least you'll be protected. And so people don't realize there's a lot of this, you know, there's GMO foods, there's all these other toxins that increase the stress of the body. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot more chronic illness. Um, that's why we're seeing a lot more chronic pain. And pain is one of the easiest symptoms to come about when there's an imbalance. So in Chinese medicine, there's imbalance in the liver meridian or the liver organ, you can have pain. If there's an imbalance in the kidney meridian, you can have a different kind of pain. If you have an imbalance in the spleen meridian, it's another type of pain. So pain's kind of a catch-all for imbalances. So, you know, that's kind of why I think that uh, people are not realizing they're not really healing as well anymore because of all these things. And in my book, the most important chapter, I say in the book, is chapter six. And it's a book I call Brain Balancing. And that is when your nervous system is in healing mode, then when you eat well, when you see the acupuncturist, when you meditate, when you do all these wonderful things for yourself, it actually works because your mind and your body and your nervous systems are actually in that state of healing. But because of cell phones, because of toxins, our brains are often in non-healing mode or stress mode. And that's when the nervous system is almost like it's offline. It's like having a computer that's not connected to the Internet. You know, you can put lots of energy through it, but if it's not connected, it's not connected. And so sometimes people try acupuncture and it doesn't work for them. And they try homeopathic medicines. It doesn't work. They try chiropractic. It doesn't work. And it's because they're not fixing that fundamental thing they need to fix, which is they have to be in healing mode in order to receive and shift the body. You know, that's that's why I think your book should be titled something along the lines of wellness, you know, being well, remaining well, because what you just gave us was a, a partial list of the many things that are included in the book that are important, not just to healing, but to remaining well day in and day out. The mindset. Well, you're on brain balance. You say brain, I think mind. You know, obviously, you know, the brain, well, we don't need to go into the neurochemistry and, and everything else. Just stop for a minute and think about thoughts. I said before the break, I wanted to ask you about this notion that you're never cured, say, from cancer, you enter remission. The power of the word, the expectation. You know, we were involved in a cancer study, an oncology study, it was actually a pilot study several years ago, and uh, we uh, used an intertalk interdiction, and uh, the physicians gave it to their patients, and the protocol was such that 
they could have given it to the patient with any kind of instruction. You know, they could say, you know, here's a program uh, that may um, enhance your quality of life. I mean, miracles happen. Uh, you know, you can take this home. They could have said something like, you know, I'm in a trial study and, uh, you know, there's some pleasant music here. There's nothing I can do for you. Medicine has come to the end. Uh, but you might find this um, helpful, relaxing. They could have told them anything. Well, the bottom line is when we did our follow-up three years later, we found the data break into some interesting groups. There were two most important things that stood out to me. The first one was every single patient whose physician said the mind had a role in wellness and who they themselves reported the mind had a role in wellness. And we had a a uh, pre-examination that evaluated these things that accompanied our protocol. Every single one of those patients was in remission. Contrasted to when the physician said the mind had no role in wellness, every single patient was deceased. Now, you know, I came away with that thinking about the iatrogenic effect, the power of, of the expectation of, of a physician. And we've since learned using fMRI that, you know, an area in the brain that for all intent and purposes discriminates turns off in the presence of an authority. It just turns off in the presence of your doctor. Your doctor says, go home and die. You know, you don't tend to question that. You accept that. So, my question to you, Dr. Ken, is, is, I mean, are we not ignoring a very major component of the healing process when in traditional medicine we don't place emphasis on the care of the words you use to diagnose, to describe, and or to prognosticate uh, where illness is concerned, disease is concerned? You're absolutely right. That's a huge hole in our medical education. And I was very active in my medical school creating the new curriculum and, in fact, uh, was part of the, uh, um, I mean, they were really shifting away from the doctor as a paternal, you know, parent and dictator, so to speak, and introducing a more collegial uh, partnership role. Uh, but even with that intention, certainly the doctor is the authority figure energetically, and you're right. Uh, whatever the doctor feels or thinks gets passed on to that patient, whether they like it or not. And it takes a very, very strong patient and stubborn, I should say, to be able to say, mm, nope, doesn't resonate with me, so I'm going to go look somewhere else, you know. Um, and sometimes they, they do, and they find people like me. And your study was so pivotal for me to read. It, it really opened my eyes, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. From this point forward, I'm going to make a real intention that every single patient that I work with, whether it be you know, distance coaching, counseling, or you know, in my office physically, that I will see them well. I believe in their wellness, even if they don't. I believe they can be cured and healed no matter what their illness is. That might not be my you know, that might not be their path, but that I believe that it's possible because of your work. So I do thank you so much, Eldon, for that amazing, uh, you know, amazing research that you did. And I, I definitely put that in my book because it was so important. Oh, well, thank you. Listen, I didn't know you did uh, distant counseling. I, I'm going to jump on that right now. Uh, 
and I know that we're going to have a listening audience out there that's going to want to reach out to you, want to uh, be in contact with you. But if you do distant counseling, then how do they how do they how do they contact you? Well, there's actually um, a link on my website, KarenCan.com, that says consult, and it actually has kind of a description of the kinds of things that we do for distance consulting. And since finishing the book, uh, and I'm always a consummate learner just like you are, since finishing the book, I've been certified in uh, a modality called the Emotion Code and also practicing Body Code, and it's uh, a distance modality where we can actually use muscle testing to help figure out what underlying imbalances are going on in a particular person. And since finishing the book, I found that this is an even faster way to help people get better because their subconscious will talk to us through the applied kinesiology or the muscle testing so that we can actually get a good answer for their highest and greatest good. So somebody might come in with, for example, depression, and the first thing their body might tell us is that person has a mold infection. I mean, that is something that I wouldn't necessarily, as a medical doctor, test for right away. Um, so it's so powerful to be able to test it energetically and be able to get these people well through, you know, wellness techniques and practices through these techniques. And so it's so fun because we can help people at a distance now that, you know, 3,000 miles away, it doesn't matter. I can tap into their energy field and figure out what imbalances they have. And, you know, that we can be a partner that way and decide how they want to proceed from All right, when we come back from break, and I've got the computer's going to kick me out in about 20 seconds, I'm going to ask you about kinesiology and muscle testing. We hope you're enjoying our show today. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes and take your calls. If you have a question of Dr. Can, do call in. Stay tuned. We've saved the best for last. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Eldon's international best-selling book, Mind Programming, is a must-read if you wish to live awake in a world of sheeples. Film producer Jeff Warwick had this to say about mind programming. Dr. Eldon Taylor's new book is a must-read. If you've ever questioned your purpose in life or felt bound by a culture that's driven by mass media, you now have at your fingertips the knowledge and tools to break the chains of this cycle. Eldon goes in-depth to illustrate and expose how we've been programmed from birth by social constraints, and he methodically reveals the psychological techniques that advertisers, politicians, corporations, and the media use to control us. He then provides strategies and solutions to free your mind from these tactics and rise to a new level of consciousness. As you read this book, you'll feel the blinders being removed and will truly see the world in an entirely new light. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Karen Can about her research, work, and book. We will take your phone calls in this half hour, so if you have questions of our guest, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. Ravinder and her team are there to put your questions forward. We already have some coming up. Okay, Dr. Can, we just played Icarus. Tell us about this song. I know it's important to you. What's the story? Well, Icarus, uh, many people know the, the story of Icarus is, uh, it's a myth where, you know, Icarus goes and just is able to fly suddenly. He has freedom. So he flies towards the sun and people warn him, hey, it's too high, it's too high, you're too close to the sun. And then he gets too close and his wings melt and then he falls. 
from the sky. And uh, this particular song is actually written by a very special person to me, uh, one of my friends, Jake Kent, and his friend Bez. Now, Jake is one of my, what I call my indigo kids. I have a group of kids. Now, I say kids, but uh, they're all over 20. But, uh, you know, between 20 and 25, I have a group of kids that I mentor. And um, it was through a visualization that, you know, the divine came to me one night and told me that I was supposed to mentor these special kids. And Jake was actually the first one. And I, I'd seen him in the office uh, several years ago, and we worked together. And um, he's really blossomed as this amazing, amazing person. I'm so proud of all of my kids. And Jake has a, a skill, this gift, um, and the musicality. And uh, I just so, I'm just so proud of him for putting his gift out there in the world. And I really wanted to plug, you know, give him a plug because I love this song. And uh, he says that it's a song that he wrote about his sister um, who kind of um, broke out of the restraints of their religious background, you know, into freedom. And, uh, uh, and it's kind of described in his mind, you know, what happened to her <laughs> when she did that. So I asked him what, what the song was about, and that's what he shared. Interesting. Now, I, now I also understand that uh, this is the first time it's ever been played on radio, so we played the entire song for you. Is that correct? I believe so, and I'm sure he was very excited about it, and I really, really appreciate you for playing the whole song. And no, so, so people like the song, they can friend Jake on Facebook, <laughs> Jake Icarus Kent on Facebook. Uh, he'll be really pleased about that. Okay, now, and how do you, I mean, I was able to obtain the song uh, on the Internet. Do you want to tell everybody how, where they can go get the song? They can learn more about the music. I mean, come on, take advantage of the opportunity, Doctor. <laughs> well, I he actually sent me a link with, uh, with the, the music. He has a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of pieces on his link, and unfortunately, I don't have that in front of me, uh, what, that, um, what that link is. <laughs> so well, I'll tell you what. If you email the link after the show to Ravinder, she'll post it on our page at Provocative Enlightenment. And if you post it on your page, KarenCan.com, which we've plugged several times, then people will be able to find it, okay? There it, oh, hey, SoundCloud. There it is, SoundCloud.com. All right, SoundCloud, S-O-U-N-D-C-L-O-U-D. Yeah, SoundCloud.com forward slash Jake slash Icarus slash Kent. Okay. All right. Everybody can go get the music. I love that. Uh, it's a, bu a very nice piece of music. I'm, I'm not so sure about the message, though. I'm, I'm a little afraid for his sister. Uh, I hope she didn't, you know, the wax didn't melt and she didn't crash and burn. Before the break, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about kinesiology, uh, muscle testing. Um, in the years that I did lie detection, I often demonstrated the power of the subconscious mind by making simple suggestions one such is something that you know has been around for at least 35 40 years and that's where you have someone place their arm at a 90 degree angle and uh, you tell them that you're just testing their strength and you pull on the arm a little bit and then you pass your hands over their head and tell them you just uh close their crown chakra as you pull that arm again and in that suggestion alone the arm grows weak and then you tell them imagine white light they do and the arm grows strong and i have done that using various models you know let's have some red light let's have some black light even 
but I I can say, imagine you know a dirty black light coming in. You know it, it you know the kind that just weakens you, and people get very weak. The result that I see is that there is a very strong uh, association between the power of suggestion and the results you get in muscle testing. Uh, so now I, I'm going to I'm going to come to you, and I know that you use muscle testing, and I'm going to ask you. One, have you found that to be true, what I just pointed out? And two, if so, how do you guard against it? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, absolutely, it's true. Uh, and, and the whole way you know muscle testing works or doesn't work is based on intention. And intention is thought. It's thought and mind, you know, thought, mind, and heart all at the same time. And so when if someone is using it for someone's highest and greatest good, that that is the intention that kind of covers all, you know, that whole session. Whereas if someone's using it for personal gain or not for some for someone's highest and greatest and good, you can actually definitely change somebody's answers. For example, if I wanted to sell a lot of one product that had extra, you know, of or something, you know, and I wasn't very ethical, I could somehow place some sort of, you know, thought in that person's field that they need that supplement even if they didn't. Uh, that, I think, is very possible. So I think that people do need to, first of all, be very clear in their intentions, have the person's highest and greatest good involved. And also, um, I always like to ask for help. So what I do is I ask for divine help uh, with every session that we do so that it keeps that clear channel and that we're kind of you know, getting the answers from the divine, uh, their divine selves, rather than for our own personal ego and in the office, we actually even, uh, I actually read a one-page prayer before we do any energy work just to kind of set the stage, and then we close the energy session as well afterwards and, again, ask for guidance and ask for healing. So because I don't really pretend that I'm doing the healing personally, uh, it's really, you know, the divine and the connection with the divine that this is all coming through. So I think as long as that person who's doing the testing has the other person's interest, best interest at heart, um, then you can get very accurate results. Okay, I, I'm going to take your word on that. I uh, I know I spoke with uh, David Hawkins, uh, the late David Hawkins, uh, a couple of years ago about you know his work, Power versus Force, uh, his his famous book, and mm-hmm. uh, we talked about how he derives some of the conclusions and and the people that he chose to be the muscle testers and. Uh, one of the things that I was struck by was his admission that in choosing those that would uh, be the testers, um, his, you know, uh, assistants, uh, he made sure that they had the same basic beliefs he had, which is, uh, you know, another way of ensuring that you get the same outcome because you have the same expectation, which in sense in a scientific sense, technically invalidates that outcome. So um, I guess, you know, the caution that I'm putting out there is it's it's very easy for you to have a unconscious belief, an unconscious desire, and and by unconscious I mean you're not conscious of it, not that you're lying to yourself, and um, it can predispose... Uh, 
you know, your results in doing the testing. You, for example, have, uh, indeed, you have a university that you put a number of videos at, and one of your videos teaches people how to muscle test themselves, and I believe it was for brain balancing, and it was a finger trick. Share that with everybody, because, you know, that is a, I, I have used that, but again, from my perspective, the word of caution is, you know, if you use that and your question is, uh, should I see professional help for this problem? I've had this pain for a couple of weeks and it says no, ignore it and see see the doctor <laughs> anyway. Because you're probably, you know, predisposing your answer. But please share with us, Dr. Ken, that technique, if you would. Sure. I think uh, what, how and how you say the question is really important. And I think that was in uh, Dr. Hoggins' book as well that somebody in his workshop, uh, you know, asked, am I going to die? I mean, he had cancer, so he asked, am I going to die? And the, que- and the answer was yes, and he burst sure. into tears. And, you know, he said, why are you crying? He says, well, you know, the muscle test said I'm going to die. And everyone started laughing because they realized, uh, excuse me, but we are all going to die. <laughs> it's a matter of when. So there are certain questions that are inappropriate, I feel, are inappropriate to ask uh, because it's not for the person's highest and greatest good. And sometimes the answer is no because it's not for their highest and greatest good at the moment or at the time that you're asking that question, but it may be appropriate the next day or the day after. So the way we ask the question is very important. And there's certain things like, you know, winning the lottery, you know, you don't use muscle testing to win the lottery. You don't use muscle testing to figure out whether you should marry Joe Blow or not marry Joe Blow or to take a job that's really important or not take a job. I mean, the universe wants us to take some chances sometimes. (laughs) for our own personal evolution. So there's certain things that shouldn't be muscle tested and wouldn't work as well. And then there are other times where the testing is invalid because the person isn't a good test subject. Their energy might be running backwards. They or the tester might be dehydrated. And that's one of the reasons why you get really weird or mixed answers or inconsistent answers is that one of the other person is dehydrated. Or if the tester happens to be uh, not brain balanced, then they can literally... Um, they could actually infect the other person with their lack of brain balance. And when you talk about, um, you know, caution and being careful, I think all research, and I believe, you know, you have interviewed uh, Lynn McTaggart and Rupert Sheldrake. So the quantum, the quantum evidence that we have is that with every experiment, the results change based on the, the observer. So is this a quantum particle or a quantum wave? Well, it depends how you look at it. So we, even with so-called double-blind placebo-controlled trials, the observer changes the results. So I think that's true of all experiments and not just muscle testing. All right. Then uh, let's, let's go on to the next subject, all right? You have uh, a number of uh, technologies that you you incorporate yourself, and I and I've I've used a couple of them, and um, you know we've got some questions out of the chat room. One of them has to do with InterTalk. I'll ask you that in a second, but I want to ask you more specifically about patches. I have used your patches, and my wife used them, had an ab reaction, which just tells her that yeah, they're real, and and I have I've had great benefit of them. You uh, tell us very briefly about these acupuncture. Uh, acupressure patches, would you? Oh, sure. Um, so these patches were created by an inventor. His name is David Schmidt. And um, what they do is they help to activate acupuncture points through the infrared spectrum. 
of light. So um, each patch has a different formula in it, and the formula is created by a different arrangement of nano-sized crystals. And that helps to, you know, resonate certain fields in the body and tells the body what to do. So it's sort of like software for the human body. So, for example, the glutathione patch helps the body give the signal, sorry, uh, to the body to make more glutathione. So the infrared spectrum that that occurs when you put the glutathione patch on an acupuncture point is that your body gets the signal to make more glutathione. You're not putting glutathione in the body through the patch. You're just putting in a signal, so sort of like just kind of like a program, like putting in a disk in your computer to program the body. So there are different ones for different functions. There's energy enhancement, increases ATP production in the mitochondria, which helps with energy. Um, There's pain relief, increases the flow of chi in the body to uh, unblock those meridians that are causing pain. Um, Glutathione makes glutathione more. Uh, The carnosine patches make more carnosine, which helps with tissue repair and anti-aging. Eon patches is my favorite, which is what I use for brain balancing. Uh, it helps with stress and inflammation. And then there's one for appetite control and uh, one for sleep as well. So they each have a different program. So it's sort of like as, as close as we can get almost to Star Trek. <laughs> you know, and, and as, again, I have had great success with them personally. Uh, okay, Mark out of the chat room says, um, do you, uh, this question is for you. Do you think that any of the inner talks could apply to figure skaters such as yourself, say in competition where they get nervous doing all those jumps and spins? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I I have a whole bunch of <laughs> Elden mm-hmm. programs that we run through. Sometimes I have them at the office, at home, uh, the Serenity one that came with one of your books, which is a wonderful gift. We play almost all the time in the office. Um, right now we're using the Fat Metabolism one. Uh, because I was having some bowel issues, and that always seems to make me go. <laughs> so Excellent. now people know some intimate details of my life. But, uh, yeah, uh, they're they're wonderful, and I highly recommend them. And, in fact, when I have patients with cancer, uh, you know, for example, I always send them to um, to Eldon's page to, to get the uh, the cancer CD, and I'll write them a script for that. So it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful technology. Yeah, and that's a free cancer program. And thank you both, Mark, and you, Dr. Ken, for the plug. Uh, listen, uh, Gwyneth wants to know what to do about joint inflammation that causes severe pain. Okay, so joint inflammation is, uh, you know, sometimes people think, well, why is it in the joints and why is it not, you know, in the muscles? Like, what is it? Why is it in the joints? And there's a lot of different reasons for that, but sometimes it's because that's where the person genetically is kind of weaker. It doesn't mean that they have to have arthritis, for example, but that's the place where, for example, toxins or bacteria or viruses or parasites like to go. Sometimes they have their own toxins and they go there as well. So I think the first thing that I tell everybody with chronic issues, in other words, that it hasn't gone away on its own, you know, you've you know, um, done kind of conservative things, rested, you know, rested the joint, took care of it. Three weeks later, you still have pain, then we consider that chronic or getting to be chronic. The first thing I always do with my patients is I check their brain down because I want to make sure they're in healing mode. Um, And so if they're not in healing mode, that's my very first priority is I get them in healing mode first before I do anything else with that painful joint. Um, that doesn't mean I don't do it in the same day. For example, I'll do brain balancing, and then I might do acupuncture because acupuncture is 
well-studied and it works very well for pain. Or I may use the pain patches, for example, because they're very fast. And if it's going to work, you'll know in 15 seconds whether it works. Um, and sometimes I do that before the acupuncture. But number one is always going to be, am I brain balanced or am I not brain balanced? And if you aren't, then get brain balanced first. And then see, you know, see what resonates with you of the other things that we talk about in the book, whether it be you know, changing the diet, some people have gluten sensitivity, and that causes joint inflammation, or they may have a chronic infection with fungus because they've been on antibiotics or birth control pills for a long time or steroids, and they may have to address that with diet and supplements. Okay. Dr. Kan, we've got about one minute left here. Uh, the best place to reach you for distant work, for LifeWay patches, for more about what you do is KarenCan.com, right? Yes, that'll work. But you have a university also. What is the URL for it, where all of your your YouTube videos are, all of the training videos that I, I was able to access and view? Well, we have um, right on the KarenCan.com page, there is a link to the YouTube so you can okay. go and click on the link, and uh, I have several different playlists, and they're not all mine, but they're really fun, different trainings there. And then on the bottom of my webpage, KarenCan.com, uh, there's a link that says Classes, and that'll bring you to the Learn It Live University where people can see what classes that I've done before that are recorded and then classes that are coming up. Yeah, and it's uh, jam-packed with some super valuable information. All right. Dr. Ken, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I personally will endorse your book once again and suggest Thank to everybody you. out there, this book, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach, is really about wellness. It's about the things that you need to know to take care of yourself on a daily basis so you don't have to be solving issues such as dis-ease or chronic pain. <clears throat> I, uh, again, I can't recommend it higher than that. All right. Uh, I'm sorry we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I like these things to go on and on and on. We move from one hour to two hours, and two hours goes by just as fast. But I want to thank all of you for joining us again. I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And until then, remember this. Believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.